Well, Russ, here we are, recording on July 4th, 2021, also known as Independence Day in the United States, or America's birthday. Happy birthday, Happy USA. birthday, America, and yeah. happy okay. 4th of July, Mike. Right, happy 4th of July to you. I have my... Uh, you know, my just just to celebrate, I got a special uh, Liberty Ale here that I'm oh, drinking nice. from, uh, you know, some of my beer. And to make this even this beer even more special, I I personally know the uh, the brewer who made this. Uh, that's um a guy that uh, lives here in Japan with us. Um, uh, Alan Kornhauser. He uh, oh. he works for uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon, but he's the uh, this Ooh. is his recipe apparently. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah, but he's the uh, the international Pabst Blue Ribbon, not the American one. Whenever I think of Pabst Blue Ribbon, I think of the, uh, what was it, Allman Brothers Live at the Fillmore East uh, oh, yeah. back Why cover where the roadies got uh, paid with uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon to pull all we're, the equipment back out, and they didn't look too happy. But They didn't look too happy? Well, these days, I don't know, it's become the hipster beer, apparently. So. Yeah. Funny how anyway, things so, are yeah. like that. I've got the, the great American beverage from... Kentucky, yeah. the Knob Creek. Knob uh, Creek. Unfortunately, I finished my bottle of that, and I didn't get oh, another one. I'm going to wait until September. It. It's too hot. September. I don't know. I start sweating, and like I want the the cold the cold uh, brew now. Oh, now okay. that it's hot and summery here. Okay. It's well, very anyway, hot. it's very here, hot he, here on uh, the USA's birthday birthday number two hundred forty five, I believe. I think yeah, that's about right. Um, and we have no. Um, <laughs> American music. We no American music that we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, funny how that what is. What were we thinking? But it's funny how things worked out because we just did an interview with um, Gil Rose, who is the um, conductor of the uh, Boston Modern Orchestra Project in Boston, and uh, they record mostly American orchestral music. And uh, we're going to have this big American music uh, conversational extravaganza. Uh, posted on um, Friday if you live in Asia and Thursday if you live in uh, North in the Americas somewhere. Yeah, Thursday he, evening. He's like yeah. the Captain America of modern American uh, classical music. I guess he'd be the captain of modern American music, which makes him a kind of Captain America superhero of yeah. modern American music. Yeah, yeah, let me tell you, that's and it's it's a worthwhile interview to hear. It's it's really some uh, project they've made over eighty recordings. Uh, already and yeah, they, they just keep coming, and they're and uh, they're mostly of American composers. A lot that we that you and I even haven't heard of. Yeah. and uh, we grew up there, and I know quite a bit about even obscure American composers. But he's uh, dug a lot deeper than either of us. So um, yeah, there's there some discoveries in there. Yeah, All right? so he- and that's uh, so that's later this week. It'll uh, it'll be our uh, salute to. Uh, to American music, okay. So, and and as well as just an interesting conversation all around. Anyway, we get into some interesting topics, like the wonders of uh, Warner Brothers cartoon music. Yeah, I <laughs> think really that's fantastic. A, it was a good conversation. So, listeners, yeah. please do check that out. And it'll be uh, dropping listen. Friday here in Japan time, uh, Thursday in the Thursday States. evening. Yeah, in the in States Europe. and in the, the Americas in general. And if you live in Europe or Africa or somewhere like that, then it depends on how late you stay up or how early you get up uh, when it will be, yeah. uh, when it'll be posted. Be, but it'll, it'll be, the, it'll be the, the wee hours of Friday morning wee I think, for all of you. That'll be interview two. And we've got interview three coming up uh, yeah. later in this month. Uh, we'll be going back in time to Europe and discovering 
a forgotten composer uh, who is now being recorded again. And we'll give you some more details on that. That'll drop around the time the album is released, which I think is July 23rd. So more details on that to follow uh, with a kind of music historian and an up and coming, uh, already well known, but probably great things to come, a conductor uh, from Europe. And you can look forward to that. That's ready to go too. As soon as the album is released, we can't give you any more details because we're sworn to secrecy. We from, are sworn to secrecy. Yeah. From a label. I've got to say, I just want to just throw this out there. I'm starting to wonder if this whole podcast isn't just a big mistake because we're, now we're starting to interview people. I'm learning yes. all this new thing. And as you know, I am very uh, acquisitive in my, uh, you know, my CD collecting, you know, You're a hoarder. musical things. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a CD hoarder, let's say. I'm a collect, yeah. not a hoarder. I'm not hoarding yeah. them. I'm kind of, although I kind of am because I'm afraid they're all going to disappear. You know, it's all going to be digital and then somebody else is going to be controlling it for you. But now learning about, you know, those uh, recordings that you were talking about and then all the American recordings that we, uh, the American source. I mean, I'm fascinated. I want to hear every one of them. And uh, this is going to cost a lot of money. <laughs> yes, it's a price I, of entry. I don't know. I think I was yeah. uh, maybe better off uh, before we started uh, started doing this. I don't know. Yeah, I'm learning a lot. I'm really enjoying that. It's it's uh, it's nice to be learning. I think I always wanted to be like a you know a lifelong student. You know, in a way, you need a really, benefactor. Um, yeah, students Endowment. often ask me why why did I become a teacher? I didn't really become a teacher. I just kind of wound up in it. But um, I think I think you become a teacher because you like being a student. Because you're, you're still technically, depending on what you're teaching, I mean, you're, you're still learning, you know, because the students ask you questions and now you're starting to have to think about, hmm, I wonder why that is. <laughs> got to come up with an answer. Well, I remember and, all uh, the horrible teachers I had and then well, just were the, those. the handful of really good ones who, you know, left me no, something to take away. So Yeah, but I've taught music classes before and students would ask these um you know, just these questions about, like, say, a work we listen to or mm-hmm. about a composer. And, you know, they're often really probing questions that I hadn't bothered to answer. And now the student has asked it. And I have to kind of think of an answer, you know. It's like i got to do some more research. And I rather enjoy that. I, I kind of like... Uh, Makes you think. Finding out about these things, yeah. I think yeah. it's true with uh, the... the Because, the, you know, we choose um, some... Uh, music to listen to every week and um right. usually when i'm listening to music these days when i was uh, when i was doing my master's degree i was like listening really carefully and kind of making notes on certain passages and things like that once i got the degree i was like oh i'm not listening to music like that anymore okay <laughs> it was just too much work it was i was tired all the time and yeah, so now i just kind of you know I, I have the kind of information in the back of my head somewhere and i just kind of right. listen to it with that understanding but now because of the podcast i'm kind of i'm not doing that but i'm listening more carefully you know and it's kind of it's rewarding it's it's kind of good to be doing this again especially in the jazz which i didn't i don't listen to all that much of so now suddenly my whole jazz uh vocabulary has expanded because of this podcast too so i'm well, kind of hearing good. a lot yeah. of uh, other things i like it it's helping me mm. uh yeah. not only direct my listening but focus on certain things and then i usually try to uh, once we decide what we're going to uh use for the week's uh, content. Yeah. I listen to it once casually. Yeah, I do uh, that too. Just yeah, to just... get the emotional effect of it, uh, maybe mm-hmm. even twice. And then I go back uh, for a more detailed analysis and try to identify what I'm hearing and relate it to you know what I know and what I've heard before and like that. So I think I need uh, 
you know, both types of uh, listening approaches yeah. in order to get the full grasp of material. Hey, yeah, you kind, it, you uh, kind of preload it, you know, you listen yeah. to it in the background somewhere first. And so there's already like a, a, a kind of sense memory of it in your mind. And then when you listen to it closely, it's kind of already familiar. You know, yeah. But you, you have a, a map, yeah. a mental map right. of where it's going and that helps yeah. you uh, figure it right. out. Yeah. yeah. Especially useful with new music that you've never heard before. Yeah. Which we're getting a lot of all the time. We're, That's the great thing. Yeah. yeah. we got some more of that coming up uh, next week. This week, uh, oh, we, well, new music for me, yeah. but there's no well, new- Oh, a lot for me too, because I just spun here. the dial this week uh, yeah. and uh, dove in. So well, I'll talk more about that on Jazz later. <laughs> I sort of did too. Before we uh, jump in with the first classical recordings, as usual, I'd like to remind the listeners- that in our episode description, you're going to find links to all the music uh, this week. Everything's available on streaming. And so there's Spotify and Apple Music for what we'll talk about. And also at the top of the description is a link to the full episode playlist. That's all the music in one place on Deezer. And this is episode 21. So uh, playlist 21. And you can follow us at uh, username Adult Music Podcast on Deezer. Uh, listen to the podcast there, uh, as well as all the other platforms, but the playlist is exclusively on Deezer. And if you can't see the full description or list on whatever app or platform you're uh, listening to us on, uh, please jump over to our host site, Podbean, because uh, all the hyperlinks and descriptions are uh, nicely uh laid out there and you can see everything yeah, one quite might easily. see artistically laid out they look yes. really good and if you enjoy Neatly. the podcast please do follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you're listening to us on uh, we normally put these regular episodes up on uh, monday morning the following uh, morning when i wake up after these and get it all together and the interviews have been coming out on fridays um, but you'll be sure to not miss any episodes if you subscribe. And if you also take a few moments to give us a ranking or write a review, uh, that will help us get higher listings in the browsing categories, which helps us get new listeners and grow the audience, which we'd really appreciate. And uh, if you'd like to contact us uh, directly with any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. And our email address is adultmusicpodcast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm going to share some uh, some uh, beer info with everybody. Uh, oh. I, I learned this from from Alan, actually, the our brewmeister friends. Yeah, I you probably he, did. He came to he one of my the, gigs uh, he, with He plays you, like yeah. this uh, electric uh, mandolin. Oh, yeah, I think you probably heard him play that once. I think it's possible. But he 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 told me that uh, you know if you if you if you get beer on tap and it's in a glass, if you see the uh, the fizz, the bubbles kind of sticking to the side of the glass, right. you've got a dirty glass. So they they're now oh. washing those glasses properly. So you can check that out. A little uh, life information for you there. The best beer on tap I had was in the Czech Republic, and I bet uh, that was good. They really know. Yeah, they know how to do it. Everything from the glass to the beer, just right. Yeah, Ger Germans, Germans like their beer too. Germans too, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, before we get into uh, classical music, well, uh, we need to mention we have last in the week we uh, talked about uh, uh, Frederick Rzhevsky, who had died, and this week we have another composer death, Louis Andriessen, who was a uh, Dutch 
um, composer, uh, recently died. Um, he, his music was, um, it was a kind of almost rock and roll type aggressive, um, minimalism, sort of like, uh, if you know the American composer, John Adams, it's that sort of repeating rhythm sort of thing, except mm. that his music, Andres- Andresen's music had this really, um, kind of really hard kind of mm. rock edge to it. And I really liked it. Uh, a lot of what I heard, um, of it, um, worth, worth checking out. So rest in peace, Louis Andresen. Rest in peace. I, I, I uh, discovered him in, uh, my post university years as well. Okay. When I was kind of looking for all of these things to listen to Louis Andresen. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, my choices for this week, I've got like, say a Bach recording. I've got, um, um, how should I say? I've got, um, Oh, a collection of, uh, piano, various piano works with a dance theme to them. And I've got, um, um, a set of harp works by the French harpist, Carlos Salzedo. Don't let that name fool you. He's French. I don't know how that happened, but, um, this Bach, um, the the first recording here is uh, Bach Klavierwerke by uh, Rinaldo Alessandrini. Now, before I start talking about this recording, I got to tell you why I chose it because it's 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 a bit old now. Well, it's not old, but I mean we have this kind of unwritten rule. Well, we don't have a rule. We have like kind of a template. We try to get uh, recordings that were released in the last uh, three or four months. And I think this one just passed the four month uh, cutoff. It was released at the end of February, so it's kind of um. You know, it's it's still relatively new. I mean, recordings are new for years in classical music. But um, um, I was uh, <laughs> we are we are all in, in Japan back to uh, work in the uh, the office, the classroom. Uh, in other words, we're not doing online classes anymore. Okay, so th- this <laughs> this means that we have to meet people again. <laughs> that sucks. And uh, yeah, people now know that around town that we're doing this uh, podcast. And I was talking to this this one person <laughs> i'm not gonna name who it is who was to- who decided to talk to me about bach okay the you know johann sebastian bach's music she likes bach okay and whenever she said the name bach she said it like a two-syllable word like she was a bach bach when i listen to bach you know when i listen to and then she would like pause so she could like shape her mouth into a shape to make that awful sound. It was just horrible. And she kept saying it. It was driving me crazy. Okay. Um, it, it, it was kind of, <laughs> it was the exact opposite of box music. Okay. It was like a horrible sound. All right. And, uh, I felt every time she said that word, I felt like I was, um, like, like one of the shorter Bach works was take, being taken away from me, okay? So as a kind of a remedy, I was like, oh, man, I have to get these works back. So I located this recording, which I had gotten earlier in the year by Rinaldo Alessandrini. And it's a um, a set of works for the harpsichord. We're in the harpsichord again. We've got a lot of harpsichord uh, recordings. Three weeks in a row here, yeah. Three weeks in a row. Well, they all came out in groups. Now we have piano recordings coming out. We're going to probably be doing a lot of those. In the near future, anyway, these are all short harpsichord works, and I wanted to to just replace these these the, the wonderful short Bach works in my mind. You know, and he that, that's what this is a program of. It's sort of um, it's an interesting program the way he's put this together. It starts out with a very short uh, preludium, a prelude, usually less than a minute long. Then he does one of the inventions. These are two part inventions. They're um, counterpoint. 
um, which you may have learned if you were ever a piano student. Okay, these are often taught to, well, not quite beginner piano students, but students toward the, you know, starting to venture off into the uh, the more the more difficult repertoire. Then comes a sinfonia, which is one of the three part inventions. They they're officially called sinfonia. Uh, then we get a prelude and fugue from um, the Well-Tempered Clavier Book 1, and then a prelude and fugue from the Well-Tempered Clavier Book 2, and then he ends with some kind of uh, miscellaneous work, a uh, multi-movement work. And in two cases, it's a fantasia. And uh, in one of them, he I guess this would be the centerpiece. Uh, there's a sonata, okay? And uh, he does uh, this um, pattern three times. Okay, so it's like kind of like three layers of the same kind of a series of types of works. Um, another interesting thing about this program is that every all of these works are in a minor key. You know that he kind of he kind of chose uh, works in minor well, keys for each one of these, and so it's a very uh, oddly it doesn't sound dark because some of these um, some of the rhythms on these are kind of dancey, so they're, they they do sound upbeat even though it's that little kind of you know yeah, darker how, tone the, to it. So the uniqueness here is that. The program is organized by key signature. So yeah. um, you have various types of compositions that are grouped because they share this common key. And uh, I guess that's a unique yeah. kind of programming uh, It's idea. rather clever, I thought. And why not? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. you stay in the same tonality, but then you have uh, a different type of composition approach. Yeah. Um, I rather but- liked... Yeah, I rather liked that because these are very short works. They're a minute, two minutes long, and right. then there are one or two that have a multi-movement that'll be about 10 minutes long total. Um, how do you hear these usually? If you're going to hear the inventions, yeah. um, they're going to be, they're going to hear all of them. Somebody's going to record right. all of them and, uh, you know, on one disc. And this kind of makes it a little interesting. It isolates certain of these short works out of their con- normal context and kind of puts them in something else. Now, you know, these aren't random works. These are all, there's, there's a pattern to them, you know, to the way he's yeah. programmed this. Um, it, you can almost think of it as a big, uh, if you want to think of it as like th- a three m- movement, uh, thing made of like smaller little parts, like yeah. this wheels within wheels kind of thing. I wrote, uh, you which, know, it's a, a big buck buffet. <laughs> That's what I wrote. But it's kind of <laughs> like, Nice alliteration. Yeah, it was, uh, it's all minor keys. And as you say, I actually prefer minor keys in a lot of Baroque music, especially with harpsichord. But it, when I was listening to it, it was raining all, all the time it, when right, I was listening. It's, it's been rain, it's, it was it, raining all week here, it's including moody, today. Moody and broody. And so yeah. I, I would recommend you break this up and maybe listen to each part rather than going. But if you go through all, you know, all of the, you know, kind of three parts yeah. In one session, uh, you might yeah, let's you know, say the might, three sections. Yeah, yeah, you kinda, might feel like an, you belong to the Adams family or something. You know, like yeah, a character. All that harpsichord playing. Yeah. All right, <laughs> now, now you mentioned that that the Adams family, and this is kind of a, a nice kind of segue for me. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Ronaldo Alessandrini himself. He's um, someone who really did a lot. His recordings did a lot to shape my uh, my. Um, understanding and taste in like Italian Baroque music. This really is his specialty. Uh, he, he's been recording since I guess the eighties. I, I think I, I first came, uh, became aware of him in the mid nineties. I really, when I just came to Japan or maybe just before that, cause I was mm-hmm. like, uh, so something about Japan. I remember one of the reasons why I have this, like, you know, really deep, deep, uh, 
understanding of uh, classical music. It's not just because of education, but because when I first came to Japan, I didn't really speak the language. I didn't have all that many friends. So I just stayed home and read about music and listened to it all the time. Yeah, and I still do that, really. <laughs> I guess you could say I still don't have friends. I kind of like the... Anyway. I yeah, I know. I like the lifestyle. The, uh, <laughs> the, the not having you friends lifestyle. The fewer friends you need, so yeah, that's just guess, the way it yeah. is. As long as you have like your electronic equipment working okay, I think you'll be all right. <laughs> as long as your ears hold up. Um, anyway, but he's mostly a researcher and a um, and a conductor. All right, so he he'll, he'll research this music. He'll put together like these performing scores. He has this group concerto italiano that plays them, um, and he reintroduced a lot of this um, baroque um, uh, repertoire back. You know, baroque music back into the. We shouldn't say the repertoire, but back into. Uh, into um, circulation, let's say. Yeah. We can hardly call it the repertoire. And a lot of that early Italian Baroque music is really exciting. It's kind of um, I like spare. It. It's not as busy as, um, say, box music is. Um, it's It's got a brightness to it, and uh, I really enjoy hearing it. So there's that. And then there's his um, harpsichord playing. He, uh, I remember back in the day, he did uh, three recordings of uh, keyboard works, Italian keyboard works. Uh, Baroque Italian keyboard so the harpsichord and the organ and I remember especially the organ recording because he played on one of those old on this very old like organ in an Italian church and it was one of those organs where it's not it wasn't a modern one so when he'd press the key you'd actually hear the you know like the the the, 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 the wind kind of blasting through the pipe before the sound actually uh, right. you know kind of comes out it, it, I thought it was really cool I really liked it a lot you know they're, they're very different than the than um, you know the contemporary American organs which they are, are made for power I often have visions of the organist like slamming down on the uh, the bass key the bass uh, you know sort of um, you know the floor you know, the right. bass uh, on the floor and bringing the whole church down rumbling crumbling down around <laughs> him as he like kind of kind of plays these kind of organs uh, don't do that in fact a lot of them are were recently um this I'm really off on a tangent now a lot of them weren't even electric they had to uh they, they they've made them electric recently, but um, in the in the past before there was electricity, you had to have like some some people like in the basement like uh, generating electricity by like riding bicycles or <laughs> something like that while the organist is playing. So you know, during a mass, yeah, air, during yeah. a mass that the, the organist would be playing, and there'd be people in the basement pedaling away, <laughs> making sure the uh, the organ Pen could be heard. The penitent Fantastic. man rides the bicycle in the basement. Yeah. Or yeah, just uh, just the the wackiness of the past. Let me tell you. All right. Anyway, back to this particular harpsichord recording. Now, I was really I now those old recordings. They I discovered so much new music, and then later on, I heard you know, other people picked them up, and uh, those recordings were all better. Alessandrini is he he's really a scholar. All right, first and uh, conductor, like he does research and he's really good at it. I've heard um, interviews with him, and he's um, what he says is interesting, but his way of saying it really isn't. It's very scholarly. He's very dry, basically. All right, and uh, his harpsichord playing is really mm, not terribly interesting. He has this um, way of um, he you know when you hear. When you hear people play, sometimes they'll be playing in this rhythm, and then if the uh, passage gets all sort of um, 
difficult. They have to kind of work away to get their hands, their fingers around it, and they'll sort of slow down. And then when they get out of it, it's sort of like uh, you know they're on the freeway again, and they they speed mm-hmm. up. And uh, he does a lot of that, and it drives me a little crazy. Um, he's not a he's not a subtle harpsichord player, so they're probably um, there are better performers out there. So um, if you're look if you're looking for finesse, you kind of want to go somewhere else, I think. But I think this is a I, I enjoyed this um this this um album I, because of the um the program and the um you know the uh, generally the the playing it's just sort of somebody playing through it sounds like he's really just playing through this music I mean he's got a um uh you know he's got a an approach and he does use the various mutes on his um harpsichord um to to subtle effect and not very it's not very obvious when he's using it he's um i think he just likes that harpsichord sound and just keeps it going um so all in all it's it's really just a traversal of these uh songs i thought the uh, performance of the sonata in the second section of of uh works was uh especially uh good this seems to be the centerpiece of the album it's the longest work on the album and uh one thing that really stood out for me is the very end you always remember the end if you have a good ending right people tend to go away with a good feeling but the richard carr he does a richard carr uh, a tre voci in c minor uh, from the musical offering and at the very end on the very last notes he he switches to like a mute you know, muted mm. sound and uh, kind of sends us off that way. And I thought that was a really nice touch. Okay. Mm. So this is pretty much your standard, uh, yeah, Adam's Family harpsichord sound. You're, you're not <laughs> getting a lot of variation here. And uh, he does kind of tend to slow down and speed up at odd times. My, one of my piano teachers used to call that, uh, he, he would call that kind of rhythm humpy. You know, he'd say, oh, humpy. it sounds humpy. You know, he, he'd like, you know, when I was playing, you know, he would say, oh, it sounds humpy. You got to smooth that out. You know, that sort of thing. So he's he, he's he's a bit of a humpy player as a, as a harpsichordist. <laughs> but nevertheless, charming, because I just love this artist in general. And I, I'm just happy to hear him. I, I would recommend this. I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to people who are really um, not familiar with the harpsichord. I mm-hmm. think you'd want to go for a more finesse player who can really come, you know, come out with these beautiful sounds, maybe on a... An exceptionally good instrument. I should probably look what this instrument is. Um, doesn't well, you're doing come that right away. Yep. Yeah, I um, I generally enjoyed. You know, I thought the playing was um, not riveting, but uh, engaging, and I liked it. Uh, I was drawn into the sound because we've, you know, this is the third week with harpsichord re- harpsichord recordings, and so I I was comparing the sound with the earth the uh, previous recordings. And I noticed particularly compared to the uh, Esfahani Bach recording yeah. we listened to a couple of weeks ago, that uh, this has a lot more room sound in it. Uh-huh. So it's, you know, the Esfahani was very kind of close mic'd compared to this. And here you're getting a lot more of, you know, whatever uh, room or forum they're recording this in. And then, a slightly annoying thing comparing even to last week's uh, harpsichord too is this harpsichord has kind of a fuzzy tone to it. Uh, after, you know, he plays the notes, you know, what sustain you do get on the harpsichord. To me, it, it was much less clear. And I actually checked my speakers and my headphones a couple of times, like, should it sound like this? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's the instrument or an artifact of that room sort of sound. And the other thing I noticed is a, there's a lot less clear attack um, in 
this recording compared to the Esfahani and then uh, what was it we had last week? Uh, uh, who did we have? We had Jean Rondeau Jean last Rondeau. week. Yeah. Jean and, Rondeau. That was, I thought that was really beautiful. That was yeah. probably my favorite so one. So I think, you know, it's yeah. not, it's not an uh, artistic or performer thing, but maybe it's sort of the mic placement and uh, recording artifact. But uh, I found it in comparison, a little bit less appealing than uh, the previous weeks. Although I found the playing, uh, you know, engaging and then i did like you know this sort of arrangement of but when you have a i, I like that too that was what attracted me really yeah when you have a, a long program of bach music it's easy to get lost in the weeds uh, yeah. as you're going through yeah. all these pieces so i thought yeah. you know this kind of arrangement by staying with the uh, key centered approach and then varying the types of compositions had an interesting different kind of variety and so i enjoyed it yeah yeah, with um, yeah, thing, works like the inventions, the symphonias, like I said, they they'll record them all together, and I don't I don't know about those. I think he did sort of uh, compose them at around the same time, maybe as exercises. But to just listen to them like that, it's yeah, you know, I like having them on a single CD so that I have access to them. Oh, I want to hear this one. Right, you know? it's easy to find, but not necessarily but, the yeah, way you're you not going to listen to it as a program. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. Uh, as far as the sound goes, he's kind of a more a more rough. He has a more rough hewn sort of uh, sound to him. Yeah, you know, a, he's kind, kind of, of burr on the tone. I thought it's like yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's and, the instrument or what it is or the recording technique. I'm not sure. Yeah, in spite of the sound notes, I f- I thought this harpsichord maybe it was just the tone the the harpsichord made. I thought it was very loud. Actually, I thought it was very uh, his know, presence for sure. Yeah, yeah, his presence. So I don't know. Maybe the mics were. F- further away but uh turned up to really pick up the sound i don't know they you know, just picked yeah. up room sound as well i don't know i think room sound is a good thing you hear that anyway although you don't this is a weird thing about when you go to a con you hear all these people coughing which drives me up a wall but um <laughs> <laughs> um but uh you he- you don't hear the room sound because you just you just i guess you tune it out but the mics pick it up that's the thing yeah. so it's part well, of the you, recording you, you know? fill it with bodies it's diff- quite different too so yeah, but I don't think you hear it because the room sound is going into the mic and that's being put on the tape. Right. But you don't really hear it the same way the mic hears it when you're in the um, the concert hall. It's sort of no, um, no, that's maybe you tune it out. Yeah. It's just not even making that sound when you're there. Just your ear picks it up differently. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And incidentally, that's sort of what uh, if those of you are trying to if there's anyone out there trying to figure out. Uh, 20th century music that's sort of what john cage's uh four minutes and 33 seconds uh work for piano is all about it's four minutes and 33 seconds of silence in three movements <laughs> as it turns out and it's just silence and uh really you're just hearing the uh the room noise and it's sort of like a almost like a zen exercise to listen to it because you're he's bringing you into this uh into the present you're you're right. you're listening to what's happening now instead of like going into your memory and saying oh you he made a mistake on that note or whatever <laughs> that's that what i really run the noise beautiful noise reduction algorithm to eliminate so i don't have to listen to that <laughs> right i think with a classical recording you want as natural a sound as possible so i think For they sure. leave the room noise on there i mean we're all audiophiles we classical listeners we want that uh purest audio possible and the widest range possible too Okay. Anything else about this? Are we done? I think we're done here. Ready I just to want to say uh, that the the recording was successful in restoring these uh, short Bach works to memory. So yes. this crazy person who was saying Bach. Avoid like a, if possible in the future. Like Not the recording, word. but we the We will person. never speak yeah. about music again. 
with her with the yes with this person. All right. Oh, I'm I'm glad that was over. All right. Anyway, next I have, and this might be well, I don't know. This is certainly the more one of the more. Um, I guess this is a week of interesting programs for me. There was that Bach, you know, mm. those three sort of um, right. sections of those works. And now I have a recording by the French pianist Lise de la Salle. And this is called When Do We Dance? It's a new release on the Naive label, which is a French label. And the uh, and previous, is, previous release was also on Naive too, right? The Bach. Um, yeah, it was. Oh, we're yeah. going uh, all naive this week. Well, yeah. we're not. We're going um, somewhere else next. But uh, right. yeah, two uh, naive releases this week. Yes. Yeah. Um. All right. So this is called When Do We Dance? And it's a set of um. works for solo piano. They're, they're fairly short, all of them. And it's, it's sort of like this musical dancing trip around the world. It's kind of, it's, mm. This is another really compelling program. All right, and it starts in uh, the United States of all places. I guess so. We did get the United States into this um, this program. Yeah, we do. We have after a, all a, a few I didn't realize uh, that. tokens here. Yeah, it starts in America and with um, works for early, more or less, jazz piano. Okay, Gershwin. Uh, we start with George Gershwin. When do we dance? It's a transcription of the song. Mm-hmm. Okay, for solo piano. Then we get Art Tatum, T for two, a very popular melody. Okay, and uh, Art Tatum, you always want to listen to that left hand because he was really famous for that that sort of striding left hand. And uh, she's doing that on this... um, on this performance, it's it's pretty impressive, I have to say. She's uh she's pretty solid. Next comes ah, this was great. William Bolcom, the graceful ghost rag, and I really wanted to hear this because I played this work. I have I have the score, <laughs> and I actually did play it, so it was kind of nice to hear a professional pianist play it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it it, it kind of sounded quite a bit like the way I played it too. It's not it's not a terribly flashy work, All right? So it's it's a um, William Bolcom wrote a series of uh rags or ragtime pieces in the 70s um after the movie the sting right i guess there was That's a lot of research into that ragtime stuff yeah, yeah revival of ragtime so um his historians and um uh scholars started to look into this uh early music that uh preceded jazz really by yeah. about 10 or 20 years it was mostly in uh they were syncopated marches they were always in two four time yeah. yep. and uh you know they were just basically marches with syncopation. And the marches were really big, I guess, in late 19th century America. I think of the Sousa marches. They're really famous. Mm. Okay, I guess uh, people used to get together. And we, we still do that, really, at uh, college football games. There's always a marching band. Marching band, mm-hmm. the town mm. gazebo, uh, yeah. Americana, 4th of July, hot dog, right. apple yeah, pie. So there you go. I'm homesick now. Oh. Yeah, right. Well, there you go. Well, you just got to put on yeah. some uh, When Do We it. Dance by Lise de la Salle and listen to the first four tracks. You'll be okay. You know, we'll be right back there. And then we have Fats Waller, uh, Viper's Drag. Okay. Now, this is fantastic because we never hear these works played by, you know, in transcriptions by um, classical pianists. Now, I was recently listening to a an interview with uh, Wint Marsalis. He was uh, talking on a podcast about jazz pianists versus classical pianists. And he kind of said that they don't translate to the other form very well general generally some do um keith jarrett would be a really good example uh he seems to be an excellent uh classical pianist as well as jazz pianist he's very precise he played the bach um a lot of bach works as well as his jazz um now Lise de la Salle, these she she as well as other pianists that i like like marc andre amlan when they play jazz or jazzy pieces they get the the feeling 
the rhythm really well okay they they really do ha- get a nice jazz feeling one of the things i notice about this though is they'll play at a really high speed yeah and the mu- oops the music won't really like the melody won't breathe it's like going so fast well, that there's no room in it you know what i mean i was like, going to say when this. a jazz pianist plays they kind of there's there's space in there you yeah. can kind of hear that i, I was going to save it for the end but i was going to say i'll just say mm-hmm. now that i actually the the first the jazz pieces were the ones i what least enjoyed on here. Well, um, cause probably cause you're used to hearing like yeah, the, jazz piano. Yeah. Yeah. The swing, the feeling of swing and the, you know, the space and the rhythm. I just didn't think she had it. I mean, technically the playing is fine, but you know, just the, the sort of room and, and breathing in the, in the pieces. I, I liked the later program with the, uh, you know, from especially the Piazzolla, the Ravel, and uh, yeah, I want to talk um, about the Ravel. That was yeah, a kind of a I, I enjoyed all of that. Mm. You know, I, I like the concept of a dance centered thing, but for me, her jazz concept was, you know, sort of the weak point uh, for me. Yeah. In, in well, program. she's approaching it like a classical pianist, I right. think. And uh, to, to be honest, even like when I hear like other pianists who play like jazz works, they'll, they'll do the same thing. It's kind of, it, I think it's just kind of trained into them in the conservatory. Yes. Like they're reading a score rather than kind of you know, sort of like building sort of a, a melody around yeah, like you a, have to a get, set of chords. You know? In a way, you have to get off the page in yeah. order to have that looseness in the music. Uh, it's a different right. world. Um, yeah, and that's what it lacks is this kind of looseness within the tautness because it has to be, the rhythm has to be taught. Yeah, yeah. T-A-U-T, taught. Yeah. <laughs> okay, not so those, those I, you know, I didn't dislike them, but I thought those were the, the weaker one, but I did really enjoy the rest of the program. So, yeah, but I want to say about these works. Well, the William Bolcom, um, you know, that's a that's a composed work, and I thought she was great in that. The other three, when do we dance? T- it was just wonderful to hear these, though, and I was just really happy about that, you know, because these don't really get an outing too often. That period of music this has this kind of it's bright so optimism and bounce in it, yeah. and even if it's not sort of like early Baroque, <laughs> yeah, even if it's not, you know, played in in the the most you know, loose kind of jazz way. I, I really like that time period because it seems to be bursting with optimism and uh, right. brightness, uh, which we don't really hear in music. It was really odd. It was, today, it was an so. odd time. I guess it was the end of the war. A lot of these came out, right. I guess, in the 1920s. Um, yeah. The Balkan was uh, composed in the 70s. I know that. Right. Um, but yeah, this was, um, that was prohibition though. It was a rough period, wow. but it seemed to be a happy time somehow. Yeah, you just had know. another secret knock and you could still be happy. So Yeah, that's right. That that's yeah. actually the case here in Japan today, by the way. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> if you know the secret knock, you're okay. All right. All right. So anyway, after we leave Amérique, as the uh, CD says on the back, we go to Argentine or Argentina. Now, of course, that's going to mean Astor Piazzolla, our uh anniversary yeah his, it's a birthday boy this year he's a hundred hundred years old this year you know this is hundredth anniversary of his birth yep. with uh libertango a very famous piece by him played on the solo piano here nice uh again nice tango I like feeling this a lot yes by the uh composer and then we get uh three dance argentine they they wrote french for all of these i wonder if that's the actual title he gave by uh Alberto Hinastera, a composer I'm kind of interested in, and I'm really interested in his solo piano works because somebody once told me, or I read somewhere, that most pianists don't get, you know, how to put his 
piano music across because it tends to be very bangy. Right. You know, in the Some uh, really of these percussive are. bits. There's a lot and of I contrasts thought, here, but yeah. I did like the middle movement a lot. Um, it, so it's it's three dances really here. It's a it's a three movement uh, work, and um, yeah, the first one is the dance of the old cowherd, who uh, seems to have a heavy foot. Actually, this one's a kind of a baggy <laughs> one. Yeah. Uh, the second one was a little uh, dance of the delightful young girl. Hmm. And uh, it is kind of a delightful, light yeah, yeah. sort of work. I like that. I like this one the best. It's a nice really. contrast okay. with the first movement, which is yeah. you know, sort of intense, and then you get that nice second one. And the uh, last one is the. Uh, <laughs> I guess I guess he's looking at the delightful girl. The dance of the cunning gaucho. Hmm. Ooh, look out! You know he's uh, gaucho. He's he's a little heavy too. I think this was this was, I felt like this was a little. Bangy as well. I don't know as far as a uh, recording goes. All right. After that, we get Manuel de Fire. This is this was pretty fantastic. Uh, this is a uh, ritual fire dance from El Amor Brujo, which is an opera, a very short opera by him. Uh, piano transcription. Um, memorable melodies. This, this is Spain now. We are now in Spain. Right. Okay, for the, just that one piece, and that was pretty memorable. I liked it a lot. Then comes, and this is um, a work I know very well. Uh, Ravel, Maurice Ravel, mm -hmm. Valse Noble et Sentimental, the uh, noble and sentimental waltzes. And um, this is a series of movements based on this one waltz theme. And one of the things I, the thing I liked about this performance the most. Now, I've heard many performances of it, and a lot of them bring the color out. And um, this one really highlights the waltz rhythm. I mean, she plays it. She plays the opening theme. Da 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 da. da it's slowly enough for you to be able to waltz to it. Now, when you do when. We're hearing concert music of, say, a ballet. If there's no no actual dancers dancing, if there are no actual dancers dancing to it, they'll generally take it at a faster speed than uh, it would normally be danced to because they, they want to highlight the rhythms and things like that. That's also the case with this work generally. Okay, we'll hear it. Um, now, it's, it's not a dance piece, but the pianists will tend to play it like they'll, the waltz rhythm will be there, but it doesn't sound like it's breathing much. It's It's going fast. You know, it's a little too fast to actually dance to and uh she plays it at really just the perfect uh you know um speed tempo to um for you to be able to imagine like a dance happening to it and for it to breathe like a waltz does i really enjoyed this uh, performance a lot okay it was uh this it's probably the uh, centerpiece of the disc it's it's the longest work and uh i thought it was the most enjoyable too i liked this Okay, after that, Camille Saint-Saëns, another uh, anniversary guy from this year, as you will remember. He had died in 1921, so it's the 100th anniversary of his death. Um, etude en forme de valse. So this is um, an etude, a study. Uh, that's also a waltz. Waltz being a really big dance back then in the 19th, early 20th century until the wars um, stripped that culture away. And uh, Ravel actually wrote about that in his piece, La Valse, which is yes. an amazing 20th century work. Next, we have Bartok, one of my favorite composers. Um, Romanian folk dances. Now, I know these in their violin and piano version. Okay, these mm -hmm. are actually, um, I think they're originally for violin and piano. I hope I'm remembering the right work. But um, De La Salle plays them on solo piano here. 
these have these Romanian rhythms to them. Now, East European um, languages tend to um, accent the first syllable of uh, their words. And that tends to happen in the musical rhythm as well. So they sound very different with than uh, Western European uh, works. And they're a little exotic for that reason. And they, they really mm-hmm. catch my ear. I really like that. Um, these performances are kind of, they're, they're pretty careful. The rhythms are all nicely accentuated. I thought this performance could have used a little more uh, paprika, you know, it needed a little more spice to it because <laughs> the spice is in the, um, is in the harmony. Right. Um, but she, she really just plays this straight. It was enjoyable though. I'm not complaining. I, 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 mm-hmm. I did enjoy this uh, performance, but it didn't really sound like a, these kind of again though they're at a tempo that they could be danced to I can imagine so she right. takes them a little more slowly than most pianists do after that we go to Russia for the end of the program first with Stravinsky's Tango for solo piano this work is pretty interesting because it's kind of you know those um Picasso and Brock um, paintings the cubist paintings where they're showing you different angles mm-hmm. of the same image like a you know a, a, on like a one surface or something like that I feel like this tango is sort of like that. It's showing you kind of different aspects of the tango within this one rhythm or something like that. It's it's really weird. Mm. Okay, it's not really. It's a really. This there's, there's a weird abstraction to it. It doesn't really sound like a dance work. Okay. Then we have Alexandra Scriabin, uh, waltz in A flat major. Okay, I I, I liked that. I nice. had, yeah, it was nice. It didn't really stand out for me though, but it was a good performance. And last we have uh, Rachmaninoff, uh, Polka Italien, in a transcription by uh, Gryaznov. I don't know who he is, but this was apparently, um, I don't know what it was originally for. The um, the transcription is is pretty colorful. Like um, it gets up really high on the piano. You get these really tinkly music box sounds at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it's it's nice. It doesn't really sound like something Rachmaninoff would do, though. I think if he transcribed it himself, it would it would sound right. different. But uh, nice send off for this and this little musical dancing trip around the world. A highly enjoyable program. I really liked hearing all these works and the, the real appeal for this of this recording is the program itself. Um, just just the way we hear all these wonderful shortish you know high you know works with a high highly rhythmic uh profile anyway recommended to hear i liked it yeah i like the dance theme it's a nice programming idea and uh well i enjoyed mostly as i said from the piazzola on I i was a little bit less enthusiastic just from my expectations with you know gershwin and tatum it's a high bar for for me as a jazz sort of right. interpretation uh, when you're going to do these kind of things. I, for me, you could have just started from the uh, Piazzola, and then it would have been a, a great recording. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I understand ha- she I wants to, to cover different there, bases. Though. So yeah, I, I can appreciate yeah. that. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah, overall, it's a it, it does take you to a lot of different places, and the variety in the program is. You know, really commendable and yeah, nice playing. Um, a lot of different touches and uh, moods and different kind of rhythms. Uh, but like you say, I I think in her mind, at least you know from the listener's point of view, you know she was keeping the idea of these should all be played as if they 
uh, could be danced to. And, yeah, except uh, for the so American ones, which I thought were taken way too fast. They're quite fast. Yeah, yeah. yeah as I more think of an if exercise they, if they slowed thing, down, yeah. they might have even worked, you know, really a lot better. Yeah. 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 I, I would have preferred a slower tempo with a looseness and space with a little bit, mm. maybe more, you know. It's kind of odd that she did it just for that part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, mm. but enjoyable nonetheless. Okay. Now, my last um, uh, choice for this week is the first. Um, recording of all harp recording that we've uh, done on this uh, program. Now, we don't really get too many uh, solo harp uh, recordings that are, you know, I I like the harp a lot and I have quite a few harp recordings, but they're not, they're not terribly interesting unless you uh, play the harp yourself because they, they tend to be collections of works that are really well known. But in this case, we have um, a set of works by a single composer by the name of Carlos Salzedo. Now, he was French. And, uh, don't let his name fool you. It kind of sounds like mm. a Spanish name. Yeah. But he was a French harpist, pianist, composer, and conductor. And if you hear the... Now, if you like the harp and you find out that the person composing for the harp is French, you're going to want to run to hear that work because the French, I don't know, they have this really great sense of the timbre of the instrument and they're exceptionally good at um, writing for the flute and the harp and especially with the, for those two instruments together. I don't know what it is. They just pull out all the magic of these two instruments mm. and I think that's the case here as well. Now, Carlos Alzado, let me tell you a little bit about him. He was born in 1885, died in 1961. So I guess he would be uh, mainly um, active in the post-war period. Now, yeah, part but he of the died reason, in the USA, too. That's interesting. He died in so, the USA. Yeah. He taught at the Juilliard School yeah. until 1937. How about that? Well, I, I'm willing to bet, because, um, of course, given the years of his uh, of his life, he lived through two world wars, and I guess yeah. he, a lot of those people from that era wound up in the United States, most of them in California, but it seems like he was in New York. Um he co-founded the International Composers Guild with Edgar Varese, which is kind of an interesting uh, mm. partnership. Now, he lived in the modernist and really the post-war era. And this is the era when Schoenberg and Stravinsky really took over. So music was really kind of rough and intellectual and hard to listen to. But not his after music, the war. No. Yeah, but not his music. And that's probably why mm. we haven't heard of him. There is a lot of great tonal music that was written after the Second World War. But we just didn't hear it because yeah. we were told that uh, oh this is the you know this twelve uh, tone music is the important music that's being written, so you, you had to hear that. But now a lot you know due to scholarship, a lot of that music is being um, rediscovered, and uh, some really great composers who didn't really get their um, their day in the sun are getting it now, and that's kind of nice to see and to hear. Okay, yeah, let's talk about this. Um, Salzedo, he's he's basically like Rachmaninoff. He's more of a romantic composer with sort of modern harmonies. You know, he he kind of updated his harmony into the modernist era, but he he composes in a really a romantic vein. These these are really enjoyable, um, you know, compositions. Oh, I should mention the uh, this is on the Stradivarius label, which I believe is an Italian label, and the harpist is Italian, Antonella Cicozzi. On the harp, and uh, a fine harpist she is. I really enjoyed these performances, but I really want to talk about the the works themselves. The first work on this, this there are three sets of works. The first one is Variations sur un thème dans le style ancien, uh, variations on a th- on an ancient theme or an old style theme. All right, and it's um, yeah, how, could, how would you describe this? It's a set of variations on mm-hmm. a very appealing theme. <laughs> basically 
probably from the Baroque era around that time. Uh, it takes it's about a 15 minutes long and a set of variations. They're all really enjoyable. A good uh, beginning to the disc. Okay, next we come to uh, five preludes. Now these are a bit um, the the harp. I'm getting a lot of plosives today. Wow. All right, the harp is kind of considered to be a pretty instrument, and it, it has a hard time. One of the reasons you don't hear too many, like, uh, harp recitals, it, it's hard to get it out of that um, sort of, you know, angelic, uh, you know, sort of sound that people associate yeah. it with, although some composers have tried. And I think this here is a bit of an approach, at uh, an attempt at that. The five preludes are called, and uh, I actually looked this up um, on the IMSLP, these are performed, um, there are five of them. Um, the ones we hear, we hear them in the order of two, three, four, five, and one. So she, she hmm. records the first one in the series. She, she programs the first one in the series last and starts with number two. Okay. So the, fir- this, the, the first one that we hear is number two, Quietude, which is a bit of a quiet piece, as, as suggested. Then we hear Iridescence, which is the name of the album. Uh, this is the title uh, tr- track, I guess you could say. Um, introspection. Then we have Whirlwind, uh, which which is really the end of the suite. Um, it's it's more a more lively sort of work. The other two have a bit. Um, I can't really call them jarring harmonies. They're hardly jarring on the harp, but uh, they're a little more um, you know spicy than what we normally get. Okay, so um, and they're and they're fairly quiet works too. Um, iridescence and introspection very pretty and then last we get the rather sad lamentation which is very long also it's this is the one that uh, that the program these set of pieces originally started with and she ends with it here it's it's a fairly heavy um for you know again given that the instrument's a harp it's not going to come across as like very weighty but it, there's there's weight there and uh this is the um really the meat I guess of the program. This is where the uh, the harmonic content uh, is, uh, and then after that we get dessert, <laughs> which is a suite of eight dances, and she does these eight. Um, uh, he okay. Uh, the suite of eight dances are all they start in the Baroque era with a gavotte menuet. Then we hear a polka, with Polish dance Siciliana, which is the dum da dum da dum rhythm. Okay, a bolero. We think we know that. These are some Spanish dances. Next, Seguidilla, Tango, and Rumba. So all of these are very different than the five preludes. Um, those are more melodic, and these are all very rhythmic. And they're all very short, about a minute long, and extremely appealing. Uh, she really gets the rhythmic profile right. And uh, this, this, I really enjoy this part of the disc the best because I like dessert the best. Let's just face it. Okay, that's my favorite. Yeah, the um, the program to me kind of seemed like a little bit of a meal appetizer, main course, dessert. You know, sort of the the uh, variations would be the appetizer, the preludes would be the uh, main meal, and the uh, dances would be the dessert. Anyway, if you like the harp, um, this is really uh something to listen to. It's a nice discovery. You get to discover some new music. Um. And you get to hear that wonderful sound of the harp. It's well recorded as well. It's fairly close, actually, but mm-hmm. um, the harp is uh, is one of those odd instruments to record. How far away from it do you get when you record it? It, it puts out a lot of harmonics, and you just hear them like buzzing all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I thought her she has a lovely harp sound, and I was completely unfamiliar 
with any of these works as I would yeah. be with, you yeah. know, probably 90% of the harp yeah. repertoire. Yeah, me too. Well, it was a whim for me. I just wanted to, I was curious about it. I just decided to do it. But I found know? them really in, interesting and enjoyable. Um, they're dreamy and kind of ethereal. And there's some passages that are extremely quiet. So, yeah, the, the, yeah, the prose. That's yeah. a beautiful element of the harp. And that really, right. yeah, hats off to the engineer um, for picking that up too in such like nice um, yeah, sort of um, detail, like tonal detail. You, you still hear the sound really and well. The, uh, so it's kind of a mixed bag in for me in that, you know, when you have one instrument, whether it's harp or harpsichord, you're, you're locked into the, you know, the limitations of the one instrument. But there's a lot of mm-hmm. variety in these compositions. Um, and uh, there's in the playing in her playing uh within the you know what the instrument can do there is a lot of variation in the uh, timbre and color uh you know and i'm not familiar with the techniques on the harp but i'm sure in the way of plucking and that so there are you know different spectrums of you know colors and things that emerge from here uh within what the harp can do however uh, if you listen to this, uh, kind of like, you know, listening to all of those harpsichord uh, things, and then here, you might find, you know, you're sort of sprouting some wings or a halo or something here. See, <laughs> this is another recording you might want to break up into different sections at a time, uh, be, just because you, you get into that world of the harp sound, and you really get sort of teleported to either that astral plane and you're sort of, yeah. you know, zoning out, but it, it's very lovely. And uh, as far as, you know, the, the, the playing is, seems to be, uh, you know, top notch, but you know, the, the compositions are very interesting too, but I find them a, a little bit sort of mesmerizing. And so I got like zoned mm. out for a bit and I didn't, right. I missed some things on the first listening and then I picked mm. them up when I would start, it's you know start at a new point in the middle and then pick that oh okay because by that time i was sort of you know cloud floating uh, the time before just because it's all harpy and angelic and and like that but yeah i don't listen to harp harp that much so you know this was kind of fun and uh, i do want to mention to listeners though your russ is saying you know he felt angelic and stuff like that but i don't know that this is a terribly relaxing recording so i don't know that you want to i mean if you want to get in your bath and listen to it i think that would work pretty well i mean it's it's a nice recording for relaxing the bath but if you're really trying to forget a lot of things are getting a massage or something like that. I don't know. I think it might, there might be a, a few bits of it that aren't quite, that are going to grab your attention. And, oh yeah. Uh, it's not all, yeah. um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not a new well, age album. Let's just put no, it no, like no. that. I, okay. I'm talking about in terms of, you know, just basically the, uh, instrument, but, uh, right. there, there's a lot of variety in there. And then, you know, even in the, uh, the suite of dances, they're all distinctly, identified mm-hmm. by the particular rhythms and the articulations are clear and well played, you know, so it does take you through a different landscape of things uh, on the heart. Yeah, check that out. It's good. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, a little uh, off the beaten path there. And I'm, this is a composer whose music I knew nothing about, you know, and now I've got some of that in my uh, brain cells and uh, yeah. I'm a better well, man good for experience. it. Good experience. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, what do you got for us there? Oh, and well, in the jazz uh, <clears throat> domain this week, this was sort of a roulette wheel of spin the dial and see what comes up because... That's that's my whole life. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there are some recordings I'm waiting to come out. Uh, right. I do that too. I got some classical stuff yet. I'm waiting for. And so I said, well, let's 
see what's out there that I have no idea and no preconceptions about. And so that's what I did. I spun the dial of new releases and uh, picked up an international kind of uh, random choices of things that either looked interesting or were highly touted from other sources, uh, which I should have known better in this case. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think my random choices. Oh, uh, oh why not? You know, you, yeah. I, I take, I make random choices all the time, but I usually know something about the artist first, but yeah. not always. Why did, these are three completely new to me. And uh, so I thought it's a good chance for discovery and hopefully give some, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, recommendations if I found anything good. And well, um, you know, it's a mixed bag. Uh, yeah, I say. That's the way I, that's what I thought. The first well. one uh, I really enjoyed. Uh, this is called Side Slip by Alex Western King. That's a hyphenated last name, Western King. I don't know why it's hyphenated uh, since uh, he's a gentleman. Uh, I don't know the origin of that. And well, it's kind of those. Kind of I guess they do. It's kind of you're interesting, a royal you know, family like, or something. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a cool thing. You know, who are you? I'm a Western King. Yeah. I mean, what What could be cooler than that, right? Uh, mm. You know, the Western King. Uh, and this is on the Ubuntu label. But uh, Western King is a up and coming player on the London jazz scene uh, on the tenor saxophone, and um, apparently. He started out on clarinet uh, in his uh, youthful period, uh, and then he switched over to saxophone later, and uh, he's shared the stage with a lot of uh, world-renowned uh, musicians, Cleo Lane, Alec Dankforth, uh, among others, uh, and uh, he's a regular at Ronnie Scott's uh, Late Late Show, and uh, he's performed at Royal Albert Hall and... Uh, a number of other venues and this is his uh, debut album as a solo artist and so i thought well you know uh london has a really good jazz scene and this would be interesting to check out and uh, he describes this album as a meeting point between his love of uh, straight ahead uh, bebop and the chaos and fragility of free jazz and it turns out you know it's a pretty good description he's here with uh, his group that features on piano, Sam Leek uh, on bass, Johnny Wickham, drums, Jay Davis. And we've got a guest on one track, um, trumpet of James Copas. And uh, I really like this uh, recording. It starts out with a tune called Make Way. And uh, this is uh, kind of a medium swing tune with some stop time between behind the sax when it comes in. and uh, it's this original composition, but it has a, a jazz standard like quality. Uh, I don't know if you remember the tune uh, Tangerine, uh, oh, yeah. Stan Getz and other people played it. It's sort of reminiscent of that. And it, right from this first tune, you'll get a sense of uh, Western King's uh, sort of sax concept. He has a really full tenor tone, but he has some edge, maybe like. Um, uh, Charlie Rouse, uh, you know, player like that. Um, so it's kind of a appealing tone that he has. And he has a solo here that's really relaxed, but he adds some very reedy overtones when he gets in the upper register. You can tell he's worked on his altissimo playing 
up high and he's has really good control there and so he can add some nice tension to his solo when he chooses to go up high uh after the sax solo there's a nice light swinging piano solo and then it uh the swing tune ends with a kind of minor vamp uh that changes to sort of a latiny percussion uh contrast for a few bars so it's a nice uh you know tune it's um evocative of things of the past, but he shows his unique character. Uh, the next tune, uh, number two on the recording, is called Disorder Reordered. And here he ventures a little bit more modern. Uh, it's got a kind of short, angular, very angst-inducing melody that he uh, in, introduces some like low honks in, and there's a very syncopated rhythm section backing. Uh, after the introduction of the in a very brief theme, goes quickly into kind of a bass and drum jam. And then the uh, melody restatement comes out. And then there's a piano solo. Uh, there's kind of a lot of more modern angst from dissonant chords here. And the drums and bass really help push the tension as the solo uh, develops to a climax. And then they come back to that riff that's repeated. And Western King Angs adds like kind of a really angry solo on top and then back to the melody and it ends. So sort of, uh, well, Disorder Reordered as a title, he's sort of aiming for sort of a reconstruction of something uh, in a compact kind of uh, modern thing. And so it's a, a very big contrast to the uh, first track. Uh, number three is called Dark Space. And uh, that's what it sounds like at the beginning anyway. We get a very dark, spacey bass intro uh, that fits this title idea. The sax joins in really tenderly with a softer tone on the melody, uh, showing you know, a different kind of personality side of uh, his playing. And then the piano and drums finally join in, and the melody is repeated in a, with a really nice ballad treatment. And then the sax solo alternates between kind of tender fluid lines, and then some tension with controlled squawks uh, until the sudden ending. So he's really good at um, adding um, things in the upper register with some like overtone squawks with uh, read things uh, that he keep, but he keeps it all in really good control. Uh, he's a really good technique here. Uh, number four is called inner eye. And this has a uh, nice, pretty minor arpeggio piano opening. And then <clears throat> the sax joins in in a kind of rubato. So uh, free rhythm, uh, sort of uh, statement and it's really mournful uh the tone he gets and the bass and drums enter adding a lot of weight uh behind that and then uh, they sort of develop a slow ballad tempo here and then uh well western king really rings out the emotion in the legato phrases on this tone um he sh really shows how his phrasing and uh kind of uh, passionate uh emotive style can work here uh and he has a really pretty vibrato uh, which I really noticed that's kind of nice. Uh, there's a really well-constructed piano solo on this tune with uh, cascading lines and really well-spaced intervals. Uh, nice solo. And then a relaxed bass solo. It's got just enough rhythmic tension and articulation to keep uh, the tune going along. Then the sax returns for the final melody statement. And uh, when he gets to the end, he shows, again, some more of his high register tone control on the ending. So uh, interesting tune. Uh, five is the title track, Side Slip, and uh, this is a nice kind of hard bop chromatic melody line, uh, and the trumpet joins in here uh, with the sax, and uh, 
they're playing together is sort of accented by the uh, rhythm section here. And then when the trumpet uh, comes out to the first solo, it's really pushed by some uh, driving cymbal in the drums. And uh, he takes his time building this up. He starts out really calmly, gradually adds tension with some chromatic phrases and uh, some forays into the high register. And it's a really long trumpet solo. It's a really extended solo. Um, so he paces himself well here. And then when he gets to the end of the solo, the sex joins in together on a line. Uh, I don't know if they planned this out or picked it up. And then they continue playing together for a while before the sex takes over, sort of gets the baton in the relay and goes on the solo. And then here, Western King sort of alternates between his high and low register things. And he works in some really interesting variety of bluesy figures and then outside of the chord sort of figures. But he keeps it all integrated by really swinging hard. He has a really nice swing concept that I liked. Then the horns join in together for a, a new funky line. Uh, and that sort of trades off with bass and piano stop timing behind the drums. And then there's sort of a new melody theme that comes back uh, different from the original melody. And then there's a drum solo and one more time back to the original melody. So yeah, kind of interesting uh, composition and, uh, you know, hard boppish, but, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries a bit with uh, freedom with the harmonies. Uh, the sixth track is called toe the line. And this is a, Relaxed, a very standard sounding slow swinging tune. The piano takes the first solo after the melody, and there's a cool kind of descending ending uh, in there. And then sax comes in for a solo, and he really swings a lot on this one. Uh, he's, and what I liked on this tune is his, his uh, phrasing. He sort of crosses over the normal phrase lines of melody where you would expect phrases to end, but he, you know, he keeps going and creates his own new sort of uh, compositional phrases. And he feels really completely in control. I thought it's a really mature style of uh, soloing before he comes back to the melody. And then the last tune is called uh, The Long Road. And this is a kind of fun, mysterious modal melody. And it has these very menacing low piano and bass kind of backing uh, tones to it. And then inside the uh, melody that he's playing on sex, there's this chromatic dropping line in the sax that's kind of unique and stands out. And then when he comes to the sax solo that starts first, he gets off to a really harmonically free, uh, but very rhythmic solo that's just over the drums. So the piano and bass drop out. So he's, you know, left to his own harmonic devices. So he, he can take a lot of liberties here. And then the bass comes back in for the piano solo that follows. And the piano really follows the modes that are outlined in the melodies. So there's a really modal exploration here. And he includes a lot of really cool punchy left-hand chords. And then, you know, these really searching uh, right-hand figures. So really nice piano soloing on uh, this album. And so uh, overall, I was uh, really impressed. I thought it's a fine debut album. There's a nice mixture of material. Uh, as he says, uh, based in bebop, I would actually call it, you know, hard bop or post bop. Um, and then a great interplay between the musicians. The rhythm section is very tight. And Western King himself, he shows a unique kind of personal tone on the sax. Uh, I thought he has, you know, this warmth with a bit of an edge, 
a really good high register control and he can use these kind of overtones and squawks whenever he wants to, to just add some touches, but he has a mature playing style. I don't know how old he is. Um, I, I assume he's kind of young uh, looking at his uh, photo there uh, and his style is rooted in the past, but he has a no, enough of his own ideas and he has this, you know, kind of a probing uh, nature into, you know, free jazz zone. And he's not afraid to go outside and, and uh, also do some uh, things harmonically uh, to explore that keeps it kind of creative. And yeah, I thought it was entertaining, uh, energetic, uh, a nice balance of pretty things and uh, also edgy. And yeah, I recommend this recording. It was enjoyable. I was surprised. Yeah, when I listen to these um, recordings that you recommend, I never really know what I'm going to get, so I'm just kind of wide open, ready for it right. to hit. And uh, this week, this week, it was a really uh, tiring week, and I was I listened to this, and it's a really, it's a pretty edgy recording for the yeah. most part, not entirely. And I, I was kind of, like, oh, I don't really want to be hearing this this week, you know. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, the playing was fantastic. It was really hard. It was, it was a lot of like kind of hard bop kind of yeah. uh, things to it. The playing was great. And then I mentioned this to you, and you said, oh, well, listen to it again, and I did. You know, but I this time I knew what I was going to hear, and it uh, kind of settled in a bit. I I did like it, okay. But it's uh, it's it's more for it's yeah, it's more it's a more ed- it's an edgier kind of sound. Uh, you know, yeah, I would, yeah. Uh, I'd recommend it, but just know know what you're getting into first. It's not hard to listen to, but it's just kind of yeah, it's a it, nice song. Nice balance. After all my harp and harpsichord this week, this oh. was kind of like a big jolt going into. Yeah, but if, I mean, if yeah. this guy is. Uh, uh, exemplary of what's uh, happening on the London jazz scene. Yeah, um, this sounds hot. I mean, love to go see this guy live. Uh, I'm sure it would be really thrilling. He's uh, creative. Uh, he's got, like I say, one foot rooted in the past. He's got his own thing. And what I really liked about him is uh, he can really swing through this, uh, you know, challenging kind of uh, repertoire. He's got the concept of the of the rhythm down which is what i'm always you know as we talked when we talked with uh, mike ladon uh, when he kept saying that swing thing and you know after that i i looked at some of the things he had said like a decade before uh you know that was sort of controversial and he was sort of critical of you know europeans sort of uh saying you know now you know jazz is our thing too and whatnot and um you know in our present you know pc and uh kind of uh, comments about cultural appropriation and all this other kind of uh, nonsense. Uh, None of that matters if you play the music or do whatever you're doing right, if you understand Mm -hmm. it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. with jazz, that means, you know, you've got to have that rhythmic feel. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you have to be American or black or anything. What it means is you have to understand that music and be into it. And so, When I see people from, you know, other countries or cultures that have that, then, you know, that's really satisfying. And yeah, this guy definitely has his good swing and he has the tradition and he also has something uh, cool of his own. And uh, yeah, really cool. Yeah, I think when when I mean when your music becomes like international the way jazz has now, I think yeah. that's something to be really happy and proud about. I mean, of you course. acknowledge its origins in Black America, of course, and then in America, but then it just <laughs> it's, it becomes everybody's. Music always does that; it brings people together. It's it's always yeah. trying to expand out and find a new audience. And, and uh, uh, we wouldn't want to be yeah. relying only on Americans to listen to jazz or play jazz because <laughs> <laughs> then we would uh, not have any music left. Uh, so. 
Yeah, it well, should uh, be celebrated by anyone who can get it. There are a lot of good it. jazz artists in America still. I mean, oh sure, yeah. it's still. I think but that's no, still I, the center. Sort I don't of know like how many Europe listeners there are. Classical you know, music. I think America still. Thing. Yeah, we've lost listeners. I think Europe, yeah. Europe has a pretty big jazz audience, yeah. which is kind of what's nice about them. So does Japan, by the way. There's, oh yeah, there's quite a jazz audience out here. People yes. people listen to it. Yeah, jazz. You know, jazz gets is. mocked on like American TV shows, but that's it. You don't hear that yeah. in Europe. You don't hear that no, in Japan. No, no. You know, no, no. or anywhere else. Uh, uh, jazz is played in Asia. No, and uh, yeah. so we're going to stay in Europe for uh, number two. Another artist I had never. Uh, heard of and I saw this and I was just drawn in by the title because it has two <laughs> things that drew me in. It says uh, organ power exclamation point. Exclamation point. Yeah. And so I thought, well, organ I'm hooked and then exclamation I like the point. Organ too. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we've had a, <laughs> we're both suckers for organ and so I said, and we're well, also both suckers for exclamation points, aren't yeah. we? You know, you yeah, put, you put an exclamation title, point in the title, we'll suddenly want to hear it, you know. Yeah. And uh, so this is on the Fresh Sound label by the alto saxophonist. Uh, I'm, I'm probably French listeners, forgive me. Uh, I'm going to butcher these pronunciations. I think it's Gael Horelu. Uh, unless you this. can correct me. Yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah, Gael probably. Yeah. Horlu. Yeah, I guess. Horlu. Yes. Uh, guess, the French yeah. alto saxophone player. And uh, who was uh, born in 1975. And uh, he has a classical and jazz background. Uh, and his career goes back to 1992. Uh, and uh, he's uh, recorded with lots of international artists as well, including Jeremy Pelt, Marcus Miller. Uh, Rodney Green, uh, Jaleel Shaw, and uh, the great American tenor sex player, Eric Alexander, uh, so who also records with uh, our uh, favorite organ player, Mike Ladon. So I thought, well, mm -hmm. let's check this out. And uh, so he's come uh, comprised an organ-focused uh, recording here with uh, himself, Horlu on alto sax, Pierre Drevet on trumpet, Simone Girard on trombone, and the organ here is uh, handled by uh, Fred Nardine, and we have uh, Antoine Paganotti on drums. And uh, this is a really fun recording. I'm glad I picked mm -hmm. this. I liked it. it, it this will put you in a good mood for sure. Uh, yeah. The first piece is called... Uh, Le Hagiton. And uh, you're off to a really nice groove right from the start here. Uh, a real swinging tune. And they really use the horns uh, to great effect on this whole album. And this one starts out with a great horn riff. It modulates a lot. Uh, it moves around. I wouldn't maybe call it uh, modal for sure, but the riff moves around. And Horolo comes out with the first solo. And right away you get this uh, taste of his unique sound. It's a uh, kind of centered alto tone, but it has a nervous edge to it. Uh, and he's able to play really fluid lines, but there's this sort of angst in his sound that's appealing. He creates a lot of tension. Um, after the sax, there's an organ solo, and uh, he keeps the uh, bass, well, all the bass on this album is done by the organ foot pedals, which I should mention is really heavy in the mix. So, yes, I noticed that too. It's actually hard to distinguish when the tone changes because it just yeah. seems to like blend into like the next one. It's kind of like, yeah, it's like house music. You're hearing almost that a lot, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's not a bad thing, but uh, it's very, you know, it's very big in the mix uh, yeah. with the organ. Uh, 
and then uh, the horns come back in and uh, th- with this riff and there's some backing for the solos and they trade it off with the drums and uh, they come back to the melody. It's a nice arrangement. Uh, this whole album has really good arrangements for the horns. They maybe be a bit overarranged in some places on, you know, uh, depending on what you like, but uh, they're all prominently featured here. Uh, the second track is called Nathania. And um, here the whole tune starts off with a kind of bass pedal ostinato riff uh, in the organ. Then the horns come in and they play a kind of like a minor uh, keyed chorale together. And then uh, there's an interesting rhythm that develops uh, and the chord uh, changes are really interesting on this tune. Uh, Horlu takes the first solo and he really mixes up some bluesy licks while following the interesting chord changes in this tune. They're very interesting. It must be fun to solo over. Uh, the trumpet solos next, and he keeps it mostly mellow with a bit of a bluesy ending, and then the, the uh, organ solos here too. And then uh, the horns all come back, and the, the trumpet adds a few kind of improvisational link uh, licks on top of that. Uh, so uh, kind of a unique tune here. Uh, three is a lot, really a lot of fun. It's called Twistin'. And this, this is the one that really grabbed yeah, me and like, yeah, they really enjoyed one. this record. It's really, uh, it's really good. Yeah. There's a horn intro and then um, there's a really funky organ riff that's offset with the bass pedals. And then everything is, you know, really uh, playing rhythmically in, uh, in uh, sort of uh opposition with each other in the organ and it's great so it really chugs along uh the horns uh play a really bluesy melody line together and then uh one of the highlights of this album for me the first solo here is trombone and boy his trombone uh is like so dirty when you hear this like uh it you're gonna need a shower after this trombone on any time he plays his solo he just rips in with these really dirty licks and he's growling and swinging uh you know a really nice uh trombone concept anytime he plays on here uh sax is up next and the horlutz uh solo has some really cool staccato phrases added in and then uh the organ uh chord comes in for a bit of a jam uh, before the melody returns. Uh, fourth track is called Interlude in Blue. And this one has a kind of a slow minor tune with an even beat. And it starts on organ and the horns come in. And there's a, a sad minor melody, but th- it sort of changes into this hopeful rising major phrase that then turns bluesy. It's, it's a lot of twists and turns in this melody that's kind of intriguing. Uh, and then uh, we get another trombone solo here. It was really great, a really mournful kind of really voice-like character full of exasperation in the trombone. I really, I really liked uh, his voice-like quality uh, in this solo. And then uh, the organ comes in really high, adding some gospel on top. And then uh, Horlu comes in for a sax solo, and he keeps it really bluesy all the way through. And then the horns all come back in and they go out to the uh, end together. Uh, So this one is another uh, really good track. Uh, Then we have uh, track five, uh, Roos or Rouse. Uh, I think I said about Charlie Rouse, huh? Could be about Charlie Rouse, it's possible. Uh, This starts with a bass riff uh, with some really mysterious horn noodling before they all uh, join in on a repeating riff. And then they fall into this kind of minor bluesy swing. 
nice horn arrangement here. The sax solos first, and he does some really nice uh, outside of the chord phrases over the static one chord section um, before it hits the kind of uh, uh, shifting chord changes section, where he plays some really sweet lines over that, building up some tension. Uh, really nice uh, rhythmic phrases, bluesy lines, and some high edgy notes. Uh, for Horlu himself, this is one of his nicer solos on the album. It uh, really uh, puts all things together. You can see that how he's a really good uh, improviser here. Uh, the organ solo starts out subdued and dark, and then it turns kind of bluesy and mysterious uh, for a while and back to bluesy again. Uh, you'll notice that he keeps his tone very straight. Uh, this is very different from uh, like you know, Michael Don's playing that we look to uses a lot of the Leslie and the effects. Uh, he keeps his stops uh, in a more of a pure kind of uh, tone thing, maybe a bit too much for my taste. Um, yeah, let's, let's just mention the Leslie is the speaker that the organ sound comes out of on a Hammond yeah. V3 organ. So right. just, just for listeners who didn't hear the earlier episode when we explained that. And see, it can get that sort of pulsating mm. kind of sound to add tension uh, to the yeah. organ sound, but you don't get that a lot uh, on this uh, recording. Uh, it could just be, you know, the way he, his concept is. Uh, and then uh, track six is uh, called Minority. Now this is a, uh, a, a cover tune of, uh, I wouldn't call it a standard, but it's been played before by uh, Gigi Grice. Uh, and it was also recorded and made, probably more famous by Bill Evans, although I like the original recording because it features one of my favorite trumpet players, Richard Williams, who is sort of obscure, uh, but I really love his uh, solo recording and even more his work with Youssef Latif. Uh, so this is a really interesting tune, and the way they treat this, this is the pick surprise tune for me, but you'll have to listen to see what's so cool about it. Um, Compared to the original, you know, recording or Bill Evans version, and then when you listen to this, they'll start the tune actually in six beats. So the intro is in a six-beat rhythm, and then it will alternate between a six-beat Latin beat with a four-beat swing section, which the original recording does. So it's one of these, it was kind of a thing in the 60s to have like these tunes, you'll hear it a lot in Art Blakey tunes and other things where you'll be in a straight rhythm and then it will alternate, uh, you know, with uh, a swing beat. And so it builds up this great sort of tension and then sort of a release into the swing, um, which is cool. But what happens here is they do that into Horolu's solo and eventually they settle into the swing time. And when the other solos come in, they stay in swing. But in Horolo solo, they keep switching between the six beat even theme and then the swing thing. And I, I'm believing that it was improvised and keeping him on his toes. And so if you listen to how he navigates this switch in meter flawlessly while improvising over this, it's, it's really you know, intense to me. Uh, I had to listen to it a few times uh, to see that. Um, but he really shows his uh, chops here. And so to me, this was uh, kind of a highlight for the improvised parts of the album. Uh, and he keeps it completely swinging uh, along for all of that. Uh, and he burns through this solo 
really well. So this is one of the better sax solos on the whole album. Uh, and the organ plays kind of an agile solo. And there's, there's nice thing added to here is uh, kind of composed uh, horn uh, unison soli line. Uh, so soli instruments play together on the same uh, uh, pitch. And uh, it shows a lot of dexterity. And there's some nice break uh, drum breaks thrown in here, too. And so, yeah, a really good track and awesome soloing by uh, Horlu, his, his sex uh, technique and tone comes through here. Uh, track seven is called GK. It's kind of a low, slow brooding organ intro. The horns come in gently on this nice ballad. Uh, the trumpet takes the first solo. It keeps it really mellow, but adds some flourishes here and there. Horlu comes in next, and uh, he uses his tone to add some tension with some ascending lines. And uh, there's a kind of mellow organ solo. The trump, the horns come back in with the melody to the end. Uh, track eight is called Funky Ruffle. And this has a really uh, funky groove. A good title. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the horn riffs and organ chord punches are really cool. And then the sax comes in, adds another kind of uh, phrase on top of things, and a really uh, bluesy groove develops. And then, uh, thankfully, we get another trombone solo here, and he really spits out some hard articulation on the kind of turnaround that comes the first time. And then the next time it comes around, you get some like snarling, nasty kind of things. So <laughs> this is like the kind of trombone I really like. It's the appeal of, you know, bluesy trombone playing. Uh, Horlu comes up next with the sax solo that sort of alternates sort of happy major themed lines with bluesy lines. And then he adds some really kind of slurpy that's the word i wrote slurpy articulation phrases where he you know he uses uh, his tonguing and uh, uh read uh, facility uh to some interesting effect uh there's some riffing over a drum solo uh the horns riffing over that and then everyone comes back with another nice arrangement of the melody for the end and then the album ends with a tune uh called palace special which is kind of a uh gospely exploration here it starts with a kind of really dreamy organ intro and here he does use the leslie effect so you get some you know pulsating organ uh tone here then it develops into a slow bluesy groove uh with the horns answering the organ phrases the sax takes the lead for a bit and the horns reply to the sax so you get that call and response it's a really american <laughs> African-American music form here done by the French. Uh, everyone gets mellow and gospel for a while before the sax comes back for a solo. And he keeps it really bluesy with while well, the other horns uh, back him up. The organ kind of tinkles away in the high register over the horns for a bit. And then uh, the sax returns with the melody and builds up uh, into the high register where everyone else uh, builds too. And then there's a sax break uh, with a nice cadenza and a final, I was hoping or imagine, I'm not hoping, but I was picturing a kind of amen cadence, but right. uh kind of thing, but no, there's a bluesy kind of ending. And so overall, um, yeah, very uplifting recording. It'll put you in a good mood. The tunes are interesting with nice horn arrangements and uh, Horlu himself has some really fine sax solos and playing both technique wise and stylistically he has some bite 
and he can uh, do a variety of uh, styles really well. And then uh, Gerard's dirty trombone uh, adds a lot <laughs> to this mix. Uh, just just I, as I, long as it's not a rusty trombone, just yeah, stay away from that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one will put you in a good mood. Yeah, it put me in a good mood. I I, I, I enjoyed this a lot. It was kind of uh, it was a fun album. Um, yeah, yeah. This kind of upbeat and some some the standout track for me was the third one. Uh, I'm on the wrong album now. Uh, Twistin' that one. Oh, Twistin', yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was fantastic. That really stood infectious. out for me. Yeah. That was really infectious. It's, now, infectious jazz tune. Now, you want to go right to that listener on the uh, list and give it a listen because uh, yeah, we don't yeah. normally think of jazz tunes as being infectious, but this really has everything like that a pop song oh, yeah. you know should have yeah, anyway. That one's really good. Hmm. It's a good album too. The variety of organ sounds that he got were, you know, from the the, the Leslie speaker and then like just uh, not using the Leslie speaker at other points was was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I kind of was intrigued by that. I do like um, sort of timbral sort of uh, subtleties and things like that. So yeah, I, I kind of grabbed onto that. It was good, and uh, yeah. I like that. You know, there's no bass player on the album at all. The foot pedals well, yeah. and yeah, uh, the organ. The organist does all that. Yeah, yeah. He's so a busy interesting. Guy, the organist. Yeah, really good. I like. I became a fan of uh, Horlu, and I really like the trombone player. Uh, mm. And um, yeah, really cool French jazz. Check it out. Um, I'm I'm really interested to see what all these. Uh, yeah, I think different this is my favorite Europe. jazz recording of the week. Uh. Okay, <laughs> and then well. Uh, the final one, <laughs> I uh, I saw this uh, recording, had received much praise in the jazz press. And uh, on the surface, I thought, well, it's got to be worth checking out. Um, it's, kind of, it's kind of a cool album cover. Yeah, it's, it's a cool album cover. Album. And uh, it's called uh, Sankofa. And it's by the Brazilian pianist uh, Amaro Freitas. And it's on the Far Out Recordings label. And... Uh, so it features uh, Freitas on piano, uh, Jean Elton on bass, and Hugo Medeiros on drums. And uh, so this, is, I believe, is yeah. his uh, third trio album. Uh, this group uh, had uh, Sangue Negro in 2016, and then uh, Racif in 2018, which arrived on a sort of uh, high acclaim uh uh, sequence of recordings and then uh, this was billed as his new album Sankofa, a spiritual quest into the forgotten stories, ancient philosophies and inspirational figures of black Brazil so I thought, mm. oh, well that's going to be uh, intriguing uh, however, <laughs> however I was not so intrigued uh, yeah. by this uh, album um, the first uh, track is uh, Sankofa uh, and it sort of sets the kind of pattern for uh, what they're working with here. You get a very hypnotic kind of simple riff on the piano over a sparse, even beat. And he does. Yeah, wanna, yeah, go ahead. I want to open up that word uh, hypnotic because hypnotic to me means it's like pop music. It repeats. And that's really what's happening. You're getting a lot of repeating yes. patterns here. So this is sort of a, it, it's almost like a jazz pop sort of fusion things right. it's it, it's kind of like more like pop sort of um i don't say pop but you know pretty much repeating um patterns with these kind of pretty cool jazz chaps on top of it but overall yeah uh, we'll go on Let, let's yeah see what you have i to mean say. so what 
what it turned out to be is sort of a dissection of uh, rhythmic elements more more than anything else to me. And I, and I understand the the rhythmic importance in uh, Brazilian music, um, and it could just be, you know, the things that I listen for in music that I didn't find here a lot uh, to be completely uh, enthralled with this. But um, you, you'll get the basic uh, approach that they take here from the first tune. And so they'll start with this kind of uh, riff, and then uh, he adds harmonizations, which are quite interesting sometimes. Uh, and then uh, there'll be an introduction of a new riff, uh, sort of an exposition of the first one that modulates. And then there's a new repetitive figure that kind of emerges. And he takes some harmonic movement below. And then the rhythms change and the meters change. And then the you know in this first track, then the right hand figure sort of metamorphosizes into you know different uh, variations until it returns to the original riff and mellows out. And uh, okay, so I sort of saw where they were going. Uh, somewhat interesting uh, sort of development of it. Uh, and then, but that's sort of what the whole album seems to be based on for me. Num uh, track two is, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And here you get an kind of alternating, alternating intervillic riffs uh, that set off over a pulsating rhythm. And then it sort of moves to the middle register of the piano and the piano solos with rhythmic figures uh, alternating kind of with smooth lines. It stays really funky. And then he adds some sort of uh, kind of uh, dissonant, not really dissonant, but uh, there, there's some harmonies with like second intervals uh, that add t tension in there. And then there's some uh, interval trills and chromatic lines and sweeps. And before it gets kind of mellow, me mellow again with some simple chords. And then the riff idea comes back in like a rolling kind of fashion. And um, by, by now I saw that there's not going to be a lot of like melodic development with this. This is kind of focused on uh, doing some rhythmic things. Uh, track three is called uh, Bakwakwa. And then here you get kind of a repeated then alternating left-hand tones over a busy uh, kind of uh, or, or right hand over a left hand and bass part. And then the right hand uh, gets uh, busy together. Uh, there's kind of an interesting, if, you, if you're interested in rhythmic things, uh, this album has a lot of things to explore. There's kind of like a chasing seven beat line cascades in the piano and bass mm -hmm. that alternate with chord sections. Then it transforms again and then the rhythm keeps changing until the final chords. So that you know they keep dissecting and uh, redirecting these different rhythms here. Uh, track four is called uh, Villa Bella, and this has kind of a like a music box almost quality to the piano uh, melody start. And then the melody changes, and it's played simply with lots of space and sparse bass and drums. And he moves the key around uh, in the melody. Uh, but the bass stays in the same kind of original progression. So you get sort of a, a multi-tonality kind of thing going on here. Uh, this one's a really one of the more mellow explorations on the tune, on the uh, recording. Five is the kazumba. And this is a busy riff of really complicated rhythms that starts out. Then the rhythm is moved around the piano and bass in different registers with lots of variations. 
the bass explores some different intervals and rhythms for the backing. Then the piano kind of slows and plays figures uh, in the upper register. There's some kind of interesting jangling percussion sounds and other uh, effects in the background. And eventually they return to the original riff to finish it up. Six is uh, batucada. And this is like a one chord and drum rhythmic play that starts out. Then the piano and bass get kind of busy with the complex rhythmic figures that repeat. And they really transform into almost a trance-like state uh, before getting really frantic and the piano starts pounding and, and, and with the drums too. Uh, seven is uh, Malakoff. Uh, this is a, a chord sequence over snare drumming that has some alternating uh, with a busy rhythmic section uh, that takes over. And midway through, there's a really kind of angular sounding, uh, I don't know what he's using here. It sounds like an electric piano that's uh, switched to. Uh, and, it, and this is a really complex uh, solo uh, full of uh, difficult lines and rhythms, uh, maybe the most adventurous kind of uh, take on the piano solo here. And then it, the final tune on the album is a contrast to all of these. It's uh, Nascimento uh, for Milton Nascimento, who he has played with in the past. And uh, here you get something a bit more melodic. Uh, it's a more conventional kind of minor melody that's played sparsely. It's, it's hauntingly pretty. Um, yeah, this is the most appealing track to yeah, me. Yeah, appealing. Actually. And so for me, anyway, uh, despite the gushing reviews this got, I didn't really find much to appeal to me here. I could appreciate that, you know, Freitas is exploring kind of ideas from his heritage and uh, Brazilian rhythms and things, but, uh, and there's a lot of intricate exploration of the rhythms, but not a lot melodically to pull me in. And I found a lot of the repetition of the rhythmic figures kind of tedious rather than mm. interesting, even with the variations that are developed. So he has a unique approach. I'll give him that, but it's not, it's not for me. So yeah, I think it's like um, the circularity of the kind of track, yeah. you know, the, 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 the patterns in the, um, each individual track that kind of made me kind of lose interest. Like I sort of wanted it to go somewhere, you yeah. know, but, uh, he, he's a pretty fantastic pianist. We have to say he, uh, he gets, uh, he's got some serious, uh, technique in there just some of those cascading scales that he yeah he does is pretty i mean amazing the things he can coordinate with both of his hands and the, the yeah. rhythmic um uh sort of figures and variations and then the way that they can keep the rhythm section together and develop them yeah that's kind of impressive but um you know musically stylistically for me um it's probably not something i'm going to listen to again uh yeah I'm, i wasn't really too into this either i've heard records like this before where the the rhythm mm -hmm. kind of, you know this happens a lot in like you know american like you know even pop funk it's just the, the, this kind of rhythm that just keeps yeah. repeating these patterns that keep repeating and i think um when i'm listening to jazz i kind of i'm kind of looking for it to open up a bit you know it's just i want more space yeah yeah you know Anyway, so there you go. Our Fourth of July. I just want to say, my uh, I finished my Liberty Ale, and I feel liberated. <laughs> oh, it's from, good to be uh, liberated. Yeah, yeah. On this um, Fourth of July, Independence Day, that we are recording on. This is right. go out after that. And yet, they're going to celebrate that tomorrow on Monday. So it's a three-day, three-day weekend. Oh, really? In the oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess that's yeah. They would yeah. do that. 
Yeah, okay. they do that. Any excuse to get a three-day weekend, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, so, no, there's no, I have no issues with that. Yeah. Uh, oddly we, enough, we, we have a four-day weekend coming up here in Japan at the end of um, July, the 22nd and 23rd. Yes. It's like a one-time only holiday to mark the opening of the Olympic Games. I doubt they're going to keep this for yeah. you know, once the games are over. What so do we have? We, oh, we have that weekend Marine off. Day and Sports Day. Yeah. Sports Day is later, and Sports Day is the twenty third. November, th it's November, isn't it? No, no, oh, no. They no, they moved it yeah, this yeah, year that's because right. of the Olympics. Right. Because the original Sports Day was in November. I think it was November third. Yeah. And the reason it was November third is because that's when the uh, Tokyo Olympics started in nineteen sixty. So they right. just call it Sports Day to commemorate that day. Yeah. But it was in November. Yeah. Why didn't they do that uh, this year, you know? Because it's, it's hot here in the summer. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's really... not. You don't want to have a sports day. Now, you know, a couple hours ago, I was out, I was grilling some steaks, and it was about uh, 6 o'clock, and uh, that was uh, 31 degrees Celsius, and it was about 85% uh, uh, humidity. Yeah. Uh, and it was, but yet, you know, it was, today was completely cloudy. The sun poked through a couple of times, you know, so right. you have you this. just imagine what it's going to be like in yeah. August. It's, it's <laughs> just stepping outside is, you know, sort of going into a sauna. It's not right. really the kind of uh, environment you think, oh, yeah, let's do some sports, you know, yeah. uh, not unless you want to collapse and not be able to breathe. And uh, yeah, so. Right. Not really What's crazy good, too is next year. The, next year is the uh, the World Cup soccer tournament is being held in uh, Qatar, in uh, sort of. Um, oh wow! Like I guess the middle is that in the Middle yeah. East. I'm like, is, but kind that, of yeah. That, the temperatures that are reached there are just yeah astronomically high. I can't imagine because I've been to two World Cups and they're really fun. It's like this big world party, but somehow yeah. I can't imagine that atmosphere being created in that kind of heat. I, don't I know guess how if you stay out of the sun, you know which. Yeah. In Japan, it, it doesn't get that hot, but the humidity, especially like where we are, the humidity is unbelievable. I mean, you it's know, pretty hot here. Yeah. You, you, yeah, yeah. The sun the will go down and it's, uh, you know, 10 at night, it'll still be 30 degrees Celsius with 90% humidity. And yeah. so it's sort of like living in a soup. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't taste good. It's not a good soup. So, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't feel good on your body, that's for sure. No, no, it doesn't. I personally like to eat soup, not wear it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to wear my soup. Yeah, I don't want to, yeah. my, I don't want to wear so, my soup. Well, this yeah. is an interesting program this week. I mean, it we took some chances and uh, pulled out uh, some things on uh, kind of a lottery, and uh, but I was happy with the discoveries I got, and yeah. uh, you know, too. not everything was completely satisfying, but. Uh, I hope that uh, you know this has been a good re good year for releases on yeah. uh, all genres, but I hope that continues through the th summer. I hope things don't sort of uh, die out because uh, people feel, you know, oh, now we can get out and do things, and so they're going to hold off on new releases or something. I hope. So. I hope in classical music, uh, July is always a big release month, but August tends to slow down a yeah. bit. You know, but then once September, October, then the awards start coming in. You know, the, the Gramophone Awards are I think are in September. Well, they don't announce them until October, but they have um, you know, they they right. do their short list. So we'll talk about that a little bit when yeah. when that comes out. And yeah. uh, then we get towards the end of the year and do all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know there are some things I definitely know that are coming out that I'm looking forward 
to hopefully they'll come out on streaming right away and they won't do that teasing one track release kind of thing uh, so yeah uh, there should be some interesting things in the next yeah. few weeks that's that's for the kids you can't do that with us adults we're no. listening we're we can't do that to adult album. music yeah that's right so this has been episode 21 of adult music the podcast with music for the mature mind do you want and to tell the people to leave a review or and all that stuff well i, I said that at the beginning but uh please do oh, you did like I missed it. subscribe okay. uh please uh leave a review send us a comment or uh, contact us at adult music podcast all one word at gmail.com and uh, we'll be back next week with episode 22 uh yeah. you'll find it every morning uh monday morning uh, rather uh japan time uh probably a sunday night where uh you might be but uh as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode we'll have a special uh interview edition coming out early on uh, friday morning japan time uh thursday evening u.s time with gil rose uh on the frontier of modern american orchestral music so you want to catch that for sure so we'll have two episodes coming out for the upcoming week so we'll see you again next week for episode 22 with more new music on the adult music podcast. Mm-hmm.